If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. The earliest quilts come out of the Middle East. American quilting has influences from Asia, Africa, Europe, um, We got a lot of different things from different places and mixed it together. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafter stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my quilted studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm Lucy and I spend lots of hours doing freehand edge-to-edge quilting. Now, if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing utensil. If you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the Live and Unscripted events hosted on my YouTube channel. They're streamed live in real time, and so they're interactive, meaning you can ask questions and get answers about a project while I'm working on it. So if you'd like to be notified of upcoming events, grab my newsletter at stitchedbysusan.com and I'll let you know when the next event is. Well, you know, my philosophy is that there's nothing as warm and comforting as a handmade quilt in the whole wide world. There are, of course, so many quilt makers and just as many stories. Quilting has been a bridge between generations, it has soothed loneliness and chronic pain, and it's been a beautiful expression of art and creativity that spans countries and cultures. Joining me today to tell us her story is Janice Frisch. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm The Will Half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. In my chat today with Janice, we'll be talking about the Electric Quilt Company's design software. And I do personally own and use that software, but I find that when I just have a brand new idea that's not very fleshed out, it's a bit formal and overwhelming even to sit down with design software and try to pull that together. So my tip for you today is to keep somewhere in your quilting studio a super simple notebook that you can jot just raw ideas into that you can come back to later because you might only have two minutes now but you don't want to forget the idea right? So I just have a simple composition book, a school book with graph paper in it. Just enough that it gives me a little bit of framework that I can jot down an idea for a block or or a layout or where something might be, you know, organized in a quilt top. Just any idea that comes to mind, I can jot it down on that sheet of graph paper and come back to it later and I will not have forgotten it. Then it's time to flesh it out and take it into the design software. You know I love my coffee. 
and you can maybe hear in my voice, I've got a summer cold right now, and so I need extra lots of coffee today. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. Check out the options there because from time to time we run specials for those who choose to make a monthly contribution. There's some freebie products that we offer, so check that out. Thank you so much for your support. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. My guest today, Janice Frisch, received her PhD in folklore from Indiana University, where she studied women's textile arts, particularly quilting. Her groundbreaking work on the development of the block-style quilts in the U.S. recently was contributed to a book, which we'll talk more about in the episode, and I'll post links and the title and all of that in the show notes, so you can find that there if you're interested in quilting history. It's fascinating. Janice currently works for the Electric Quilt Company, helping them test their latest software for designing quilts, while also running her own business, giving lectures, and teaching about quilts and quilt history. Contact information for Janice and information about some of the lectures she offers will also be available in the show notes. Janice, welcome to the studio this morning. So glad you could join me. Thanks for having me. Now, Janice, I kind of got, you know, e-acquainted through um, a mutual acquaintance who, who works at the EQ8 Publishing Company. And so we kind of had this little three-way acquaintanceship going. And so I've invited Janice onto the podcast because she's got some education and travels behind her that I think you all would really love to hear about. So Janice, maybe start by kind of the usual, telling us how you got started in quilting and what brought quilting, you know, into the love of your life. Yeah, um, I can't actually remember a time where I didn't love quilts. Um, some of my earliest like play memories, I had a friend whose mother had a scrap bag um, and we would go over to her house and dig into the scrap bag and get out fabric glue and um, what we called quilting, which was definitely just cutting out shapes and gluing it to backgrounds. Um, so we played quilting as little kids. Um, I love that. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> I still have all the blocks. Um, so at some point I will actually sew them together. It's a little tricky because they're not square. So. <laughs> That's, that's we get what a, a six-year-old, I guess, but still, cutting out fabric, <laughs> or maybe yeah, you know, little little doll bed quilts or or uh, yeah. cat bed quilts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't actually learn to properly quilt until about junior high, um, and that is kind of a fun story too. Um, I was already interested in quilting. My mom went to a cookie exchange um, at the house of a church friend. And she had all these gorgeous quilts hanging on her walls. And my mom went, oh, my daughter really wants to learn how to do that. Uh, and she said, well, send her over. We'll teach her how to quilt. Um, so I got sent over and she sat me down um, and we looked through different books and catalogs and found a pattern that I liked. Uh, and then she took me over. Um, she's always been on the cutting edge of technology and she had the Electric Quilt 4, I think it was at the time, um, which is quilt design software, essentially. Um, right. And now I'm working full time for them. Um, so Electric Quilt software, if you're not familiar with it, um, like I said, I started with EQ4 and I've used every version since then. And currently we're on Electric Quilt 8. It's design software. Um, and my favorite thing about it is that you can play with all the colors. Uh, you can even import 
pictures of your own fabric or download fabric from manufacturers' websites. And I'll just insert here, I've done it with, like I have a particular favorite line of solids from a manufacturer. You can just bring in that whole line of solids and upload them into your software. And then you can grab them and drop them into your quilt designs just with the click of a mouse. Yeah, it's very easy. And you can play and you can make the quilt bigger and you can make the quilt smaller, even if you're working from a a pre-existing pattern. Uh, And then print out the yardage so you know exactly how much fabric you need and then print out whatever type of cutting and sewing style you want to use to make that block. Um, So you can print templates if you want to do English paper piecing or applique. Uh, You can print out a foundation pattern if you prefer to do that to get those really precise seam lines. Um, Or you can print out a rotary cutting chart, which is going to tell you how to cut all the pieces and what angles you need if it's a specially shaped piece as well so so really just, all the all the quilty math is done for you even yes. when you even when you add borders you know add background all that stuff it does all that addition for you and multiplication it's great yeah it's really fantastic software and it helps you do a lot so you don't have to panic about cutting that really special piece you know that you like the design before you actually start cutting into that special fabric in your collection but she had Electric Quilt 4. She sat me down at the computer. We designed it on the computer so you could play with different colors um, and figure out how much fabric we needed so that we could make it a little smaller than the pattern. Because um, first time quilts are, you don't want to make a huge quilt, um, especially when you're a little kid. And then she took me up to her sewing room and opened all her fabric drawers and said, pick your fabric. And then she sat me down at her Bernina. And I knew enough because I sewed clothes in 4-H to be like a little nervous about working with her Bernina. Um, She's like, you can't hurt it. Go ahead. Um, So I made my first quilt there, a couple of test pot holders first, and then that big quilt. And I've been quilting ever since. It's over 20 years now. So What, What a treasure to have someone in your life that's willing to... Um, to teach and just to let you fly too. Yeah, it let you we worked so great. We're still in touch and we still talk quilt stuff. So I love that. And just to put things in perspective, Electric Quilter is now on version eight. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So yes. EQ4 it was either was three or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too fun. Too fun. I wonder what the differences were like thinking of all the powerful capabilities in EQ8 now. I just wonder what that was like. Uh huh. You know, the basics were there, but um, I think there's a lot more functionality now. Yeah, for sure. Tell us a little bit about your your education. Is that kind of linked to your quilting or was that just something you also loved? Yeah, so um, I have a PhD in folklore and my research specialty is in women's textile arts and women's history. Um, And I got started studying that pretty early on too. Um, It's definitely linked to the love for quilts. Um, In high school, I did a research project um, for a joint English and history class. Um, We had to do a project on the American dream. So I interviewed local quilters about their art for that. So it was really my first step into that. Um, And then in undergrad, I researched connections between Native American weaving um, and the quilting traditions that they uh, were forced to learn in forced assimilation uh, schools and those kinds of things. really interesting connections Mm -hmm. where they took new patterns and kind of worked it into their traditional art forms. Bit of resistance there, uh, which is always nice to see. It is. I love that. I love seeing that independence and that strength of culture that, you know, no matter what 
framework I have to put it in, I'm still going to express myself. And of course, we're seeing now much more recognition and appreciation of yes. all that different cultures have brought to the quilting industry. I love that you were exploring that already way back in high school. That's great. Yeah, high school. And then that was that was an undergrad project at Ohio University, actually. Um, they let me do an exhibit at their Kennedy Museum of Art uh, on that. Um, and also, if you're familiar with Ohio University, it's in Athens, Ohio, which is where Quilt National is at the Dairy Barn, which okay. is the premier international art quilt exhibit that happens every two years. What a uh, treat. So, some... so I'm sure you got to attend, yes? I attended as a volunteer, which means they let you touch the quilts because you have to help hang them. Wow. <laughs> so, How special. With gloves, with gloves, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. Um, I got to help with like the jury days for those two and see how, how that all works. Um, so when I went to grad school, um, I was thoroughly embedded in the textile history world, both contemporary and historic. Um, so I did a master's thesis on t-shirt quilting in the United States. Seriously? Um, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, tell me something about t-shirt quilts that, that how, like how in the world did you get so many words <laughs> together about t-shirt quilts? Uh, there's a lot to say about t-shirt quilts, actually. So they um, became popular in kind of the late 1970s, early, really more like the 1980s. That kind of makes um, sense. And they're very American. So if you go to the United Kingdom and uh, say something about t-shirt quilts, they're curious about what you're talking about. It's a very American thing. Interesting. Um, so we make them here because we get free t-shirts for everything. Uh, and our drawers fill up, but we associate memories with those shirts. Uh, so this was my first marathon. This is the one I ran with my sister. This is the one where I actually came in third. I mean, you have all sorts of ideas connected to it. Um, so I explored the memory aspect of it and the different mm -hmm. ways that people make them. Um, and then I wanted to say, you know, a t-shirt quilt isn't really all that surprising. It's just a substitution of a pre-printed design where you would put an applique block or a patchwork block. True. Um, so I went looking at the history of the block layout where you've got repeating blocks and found a lot of information that contradicted itself. Uh, no one could agree when the block style layout occurred. Um, no one could agree how it came about. Um, so I wanted to cite one thing, uh, and I ended up writing the dissertation so that I could cite the one thing. In that oh my goodness. <laughs> so did this lead into then your contribution to a book? Yes, yes. So my dissertation work looks at um, British influences in early American quilting and colonial quilting. Um, so I look at influences from the United Kingdom and a little bit of the Netherlands um, from the 1700s into the, about 1860. Um, and what people tend to not know about American quilting, because you say quilting and people are like, oh, this is inherently American. It's a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of art form. That's the history of it. Um, quilting is a global art form. Um, you find quilting or patchwork everywhere. Uh, around the globe. The International Quilt Museum has done that research. And you might not call it patchwork or quilting, and they might not be connected to each other, but everybody has that art form. Right. Um, the earliest quilts come out of the Middle East. American quilting has influences from Asia, Africa, Europe. Um, we got a lot of different things from different places and mixed it together. 
Um, much so like our just, population, isn't it? <laughs> yes, very much like our population. Um, so what I looked at were black designs that you found in 1700s and 1800s quilts in the United Kingdom, or what is now the United Kingdom, um, and how those elements translated over to the United States. And you find not a whole lot of black designs, um, but those black designs that you do find are found in early colonial and early American quilts. Um, so they came directly over, which makes sense when you think about uh, where the colonizers are coming over from. Um, and then, uh, we kind of reorganized how they were arranged. Um, and that reorganization corresponds to the industrial revolution and some other changes in how we're mapping the space around us. Uh, and you end up with the block style quilt, which shows up first around 1820 and is rapidly becomes the dominant layout in the United States over what's called a medallion quilt or a frame quilt in the United Kingdom that builds out from the center. Right, right. It must be just fascinating. I, like, I'm all admiration, and it makes me want to go and take some more time to educate myself a little more. You know, my, my mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, etc., were all quilters, but that still is such a very narrow experience of the world of textile art. And so thanks for spurring me on to go learn a little more. Yeah, there's so, lots of information out there. Yes, yes, and it's just fascinating. So tell me how this then translated into where you now work, which is for Electric Quilt 8, which is, as we mentioned earlier, digital design software. Yeah, so there's it's a little bit of a winding journey, but everything that you do always builds uh, as you go through life. And so things that you've done in the past that you might not think irrelevant will come back again and be useful. Uh, so nothing's ever wasted, even if it might feel like it at the time. Um, so I finished my doctorate. Um, I helped write that book, uh, American Quilts in the Industrial Age, uh, for the International Quilt Museum. Um, it's edited by Carolyn Ducey and Patricia Cox Cruz, but I wrote the chapter on pieced quilts. Uh, so if you want the deep dive into my dissertation research, you can find it in that book. Um, and then I, uh, moved into working in academic publishing for a little while, um, and helped, uh, got to publish books in folklore, which was my field, uh, which included books on quilting. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I ventured into creating my own business so that I can give lectures on those topics. Uh, so I do give Zoom lectures right now. Uh, I used to give in-person lectures, but until... COVID settles down their Zoom. Um, so I can be booked for those uh, at my website, tangiblecultureLLC.com. Um, and when COVID happened uh, and everything kind of shut down, I was looking to pivot uh, and I had some connections with uh, the Electric Quilt Company. It just so happened that they were working on um, a project with a book by Barbara Bragman and their block-based software. Um, and one of the things that was critical to my research was all the work that Barbara Brackman and other quilt historians had done before. So I was able to compare stuff, uh, research done in the United Kingdom with research done in the United States because that research existed already. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't exist in the 1970s and a lot of women um, got together and made sure that that research occurred. Uh, what Barbara looked at 
was um, different block designs as well. And what she was interested in initially was the names for block patterns. She was started out convinced that if she could look long enough and hard enough, she could find the original name for a block pattern. Um, what that resulted in was discovering that block patterns have lots of names. They're highly regional. There is no one name for any pattern. Uh, it's not worth it to go looking for an original name. Give us some unique ones, because I know there are great ones out there, like Rob Peter to pay Paul, and well, that's what yeah. comes to mind. Oh, um, it was, I, see, I tend to work in the early patterns. They oh, don't have okay. very exciting names. I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just happened to think of that one, and I just know there are some super unique names that obviously came out of people's experience, out of their life story, right? Love that. Yeah, yeah. Or a very creative marketing person later in, that too. in time. <laughs> um, so Barbara collected um, blocks and where they were published and when they were published and what they were called by that publication. And she had a whole bunch of note cards and eventually she started organizing these into categories and that became the first edition of her encyclopedia, which was a binder that she was basically putting together out of her own house. Um, I got picked up by a book publishing company. You get the second edition of the encyclopedia, um, which a lot of people have. It's a fantastic resource. Um, that went out of print over 10 years ago. Um, and so and we're interested. Barbara was interested in bringing it back into print. The Electric Quilt Company had previously made software out of the second edition so that you could print um, foundation patterns and rotary cutting charts and templates for all the books or all the blocks in the uh, book itself. And uh, they said, well, we have them, so let's let's just make the book. Uh, so they were in the process of working on a third edition uh, with some new blocks in it. And um, because of my publishing experience and because there was a brief period in college where I was studying computer science and not quilt history until I came to my senses uh, and switched majors, um, I had the skill set that they needed at that particular point in time. Uh, so I got brought on to Electric Quilts, and now I'm working there full time. It's a dream job. When I was in computer science, I was kind of hoping I could work for Electric Quilt at some point. So awesome. here I am, finally. I love um, that. A number of, like a decade or so later. <laughs> um, so I helped them put out the third edition of the encyclopedia. Uh, so it's now back in print. It's in full color. It has extra blocks. Um, and it's a quilt resource that everyone should have. It's not patterns, even though the title says patterns in the name, um, but it's inspiration and it's really for identification. She's got a genius system in it that lets you take a block in a historic quilt and figure out where the major seam lines are and then look it up based on those seam lines and find the name, um, which is just really amazing that you can do that. Really, really smart. So clarify for me, so that's a, a book now, which is available again, but how does that play out in EQ8? Is it still available within that program or is it an add-on to yes. the program? How does that work? So it's a book. It's also um, a standalone software, which we're calling BlockBase Plus. The original was BlockBase. This is the Plus version. Okay. Um, you can have it without having EQ8, uh, but if you do have EQ8, it will connect to EQ8 and you can use all the blocks in your quilt designs in EQ8. BlockBase is just a printing software. You can't design quilts out of the blocks, uh, but you can say, I wanna print this for 
block that finishes at 12 by 12 inches and it'll print out the rotary cutting information for you or templates or foundation patterns um, and it's got all the history included in it uh, so you can click on a block that you like and find out where it was published and what it was called um, and it's just really fun to go through and just favorite blocks that you want to make later. Yeah, it just sounds like an incredible resource for those who like to make their own projects, who don't like to follow a preset entirely thought out pattern, because the yes. building blocks, small play on words, are right there for mm -hmm. you. They are, yeah. You can pick one or a number of them and make a fun combination um, and put your own colors to it. You can look at them in grayscale if you don't want to be influenced by the colors in the book or the colors that are... Uh, there's a colored grayscale online drawing version in the software, so you can flip through them. Right. That's and, important, too. Right. I hadn't mm -hmm. thought of that. So are you yourself a quilt designer, too? Do you design your own quilts? Um, I'm getting there. I have ideas uh, for some patterns based off of some of the historical research that I'm doing. It's a future project um, that hopefully I can put some patterns out in a few years. Um, got to make the test versions first, but I have some ideas. Because um, when you get to look at a lot of historic quilts, and I have, I've looked at them at the International Quilt Museum, which is in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, some of my research was funded by Winterthur, which is in Delaware. Um, and then I've looked at quilts in um, Wales and uh, a number of collections over in the United Kingdom, including the um, British Quilt Study Group's collections in New York. Um, and just, you see so many unique things that are done um, and the ways things are put together by hand can be very different from what we can do today with modern machines. Um, so that's very inspiring. Um, are you seeing awesome. a bit of a resurgence of like English paper piecing is sometimes the answer to intricately pieced blocks that don't have obvious straight lines running throughout, right? Seam lines. Yes. Are you seeing kind of a resurgence of that in order to recreate some of these older designs? Um, some of them, um, some of them you just make sm slight modifications and you can do it on your sewing machine pretty easily. You might add like one seam allowance to make the curve go together a little easier rather than trying to set it in like you would a sleeve. Or avoid uh, the dreaded Y seam or something <laughs> like that. Avoid the dreaded Y seams, <laughs> yes. Uh, some of my favorite quilts um, from kind of the late 1840s, 1860s are very Y seam heavy and uh, you would not make them that way today. <laughs> I, some people still do. I recently quilted a king size quilt that was made of hexagons and not half hexagons, whole hexagons. The whole thing was Y seams. Yeah. Boy, that lady was yeah, very brave. Persistent. <laughs> <laughs> so she did a great job too. Yeah. Well, hexagons are really, really popular again, um, which is fun because some of the early British uh, quilts are very hexy heavy. Um, so it's just come back around full circle from there. So you alluded a little bit to travel in the in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the traveling opportunities you've had, both with your study or with lecturing? Um, so with mostly with my study, um, the lecturing got going just as COVID. <laughs> shut down um, a lot of things. So a lot of those became digital. Um, although the fun part about digital lectures is that I have lectured for folks in the UK uh, because that was affordable. They didn't have to fly me over. Uh, we could just all get on Zoom um, and have a chat, which was really fun. Um, 
prior to that, I have spent a lot of time um, over in the UK, particularly in Wales um, and England. Um, a little bit less in Scotland and Ireland, though I've looked at their their quilts too. Um, and I'm hoping to get uh, to the Isle of Man because the Manx quilting tradition is also its own unique mm -hmm. thing as well. Um, so I worked in St. Biggins, which is the National History Museum in Wales. Um, they were very gracious and let me take up their time uh, to look at a lot of quilts there. Um, in 2018, I actually traveled to the UK, um, especially because they brought the 1718 coverlet out of storage. Um, the 1718 coverlet is one of my favorite pieces, and I'd never seen it in person. Uh, it's the oldest known dated coverlet in the United Kingdom. So there do could we, be do older we know ones, who made but they're it? not. Because I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so tell me more. Tell me more. About <laughs> There's a whole book on it, it so like. you can okay. You Good can to know. check out the book on the 1718 coverlet from your library. It's out of print, but you should be able to get your hands on a copy pretty easily. Um, so it is unquilted. It's a coverlet. Um, it was English paper pieced, is what we would call it today, um, but pieced over papers. The papers are intact in the piece, um, and I don't think were intended to be removed. It was a display piece. Um, and it's entirely made of silk, and it's dated 1718. Um, and so it's the oldest piece that has a date. There are older pieces without dates, uh, and there might Joseph. be older pieces with as, dates, but we don't know about them. As of today, then, 303 years? Amazing. Yes. And 2018, it was 300. Uh, so they brought it out because it's silk. It's extremely fragile. So even though I'd done research at the museum where it's held in the collections, um, you weren't allowed to look at it. They won't bring it out for just anybody. Um, so they had it out. I got to see it in person. I felt a little frivolous at the time to buy a ticket just to see a quilt. Um, and then COVID hit two years later. And I'm so glad I did. It. So rabbit trail here. <laughs> How do they store something like that? It mu obviously, people aren't touching it, but is it climate controlled, light controlled, oh, yes. all those sorts of things? Yeah, my original um, training was to go into museum work, um, and that's a field that's harder to get a job in than academia right now, uh, in the United States at least. Um, so yes, textiles um, are usually stored rolled or folded. If they're stored, stored folded, you will um, refold them regularly um, so that you don't have permanent creases, creases and you will uh, also pad those folds so that it's not a sharp fold. It's got acid-free tissue paper tucked into the folds to keep everything a little bit softer. Mm -hmm. um, climate controlled 100% in acid-free textile storage boxes. Um, all of those things to, to protect them um, in a museum setting out of the light. So I'm curious, they brought it out in 2018, obviously, mm -hmm. 300 years. When when do they predict it will come out again, like in 50 or 100? Or does it come out every <laughs> decade? Or does anybody know? I don't know. I think I'm going to book a ticket. Out. Yeah, they have um, the, the book that's about it is... Um, really fascinating because what the British quilt study group did is they recreated it. So they have a reproduction that is usually out on display that ah, is the okay. exact same size. It's fully silk. They dyed things to get them to the original colors. So you can kind of see it in all its glory because the one that is the original is very, is a little tattered because silk shatters. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes, and would be faded. Um, Do we know who made it? Can't remember if I asked that. You did ask who made it. Um, we don't know okay. who made it. Um, it's got initials on it. Uh, it came down through, I believe it's the Adelborn family. I hope I said that right. Uh, and in the United Kingdom, um, people tend to move around less than in the United States. Um, our westward migration and uh, colonization of the whole country kind of moved a lot of quilts around. So you can't assume a quilt was made where you found it in the United States. Uh, in the United Kingdom, because people move around less, you can generally assume that if you find a quilt in a location, it's from that area. Um, so we know what family it came down through, but there's no one with the initials in that family that the genealogists can uncover. So even though it's dated and initialed, we don't know anything about who made it or why. Um, so note which, to self, like label your quilts because you never know. You never know. It's a, who's one of my soapboxes is label your quilts. Um, and as a quilt historian, I'm dreaming of the detailed label. So the five W's, who, what, why, when, and where. Um, so who made it? Who did you make it for? When did you make it? And make it clear, like, this is the date I started it. This is the date I gifted it. This is the date I actually finished it. You're, look you're um, looking at a face of shame. I'm the world's worst labeler. <laughs> I mean, if I label one in 10 quilts, I'm doing good. It's terrible. If you can get the minimum, like your name, your city and state, and a date on it with acid-free pen, just write it on the back. That's better than nothing. Okay. Surely I can do that. Surely <laughs> I can. You can also print labels out of Electrical 8, so then you can just sell them on easily. Good point. I'll put a link for that one, too, because maybe there's more people <laughs> like me out there. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks so much. This has been so educational, Janice. Before we You're go, welcome. have you got any last little nugget you'd like to share with our listeners? It can be, you know, kind of a life lesson you've learned, kind of something quilting has taught you. It can be little or large. I don't care which. Something to leave with our listeners. Um, one of my favorite things about looking at old quilts, everyone should look at old quilts. Um, look at them in antique stores. Look at them online. Um, you can see a lot of quilts on museum collections online. You can zoom in, you can look at them closely. Um, all the quilts I studied are available online through the International Quilt Museum's website. Um, it's so freeing because the points are cut off. Things are not symmetrical. Borders do not have the same number of triangles in them. Um, they just sewed it together and then cut it off however long they needed it to be. And they're beautiful. Um, and we get caught up in the, the the points are getting eaten and I need to redo this seam and it doesn't matter. I couldn't <laughs> They'll agree still more. look fantastic. We still admire and appreciate those quilts. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for joining me. It has been a real pleasure. We'll talk again sometime. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Listeners, I have a limited time bonus for you. The Electric Quilt Company is offering a site-wide discount. And so until October 15, you can go to electricquilt.com and use the code CUTONCE for a 20% off discount for everything in the shop. So once again, that is the code CUTONCE, valid until October 15. Enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope that you've been inspired to learn more about historical textiles and quilts. And once again, I'll link in the show notes to the book that Janice has contributed to and others that we mentioned throughout the show that you might be able to find at your local library. 
So if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can hear these stories too, and I'd sure appreciate it. I'd love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter with a story to tell. If you know such a person, email me at info at stitchedbysusan.com and also CC the nominee so they know about it too. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted. 